Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Braskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And it's that time of the year when the world shifts its attention to college sports. We have conference tournaments, Selection Sunday, March Madness, and Aunt Becky from Full House's kids' fake rowing photos. Uh, I have to admit, I did not see the Lori Laughlin, Felicity Huffman, C-list celebrity bribery parlay hitting. Oh, you take that back, Eric. I think B-list is uh, a minimum, so don't uh, <laughs> don't be knocking them in their time of woe. Um, meanwhile, I, I mean, um, somebody has to pay to get their kid admitted to USC. Uh, that has reasonable <laughs> doubt written all over it, doesn't it? Um Oh, wait, did, did I say that out loud? I was just thinking it, but um, <laughs> all right. Uh, do we have Trojan alumni? And, I'm not sure. Um, I'll just say I'm totally jealous because I didn't get admitted there, and we'll move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not the only one who made that observation. Right, that, right. You know, when, 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 I, when the scandal broke, uh, certainly a, a lot of people noted, okay, Harvard, you know, that, that makes sense, Ivy Leagues, whatever. USC, really? Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, if we have some, some uh, Trojan alums in the audience, so be it. I, I'm, I'm wondering, are you, uh, are you a few years too old to have had a crush on Aunt Becky, or, uh, or, or did you have an Aunt Becky thing back in the day? Uh, yeah, I'm a bit too old for that. Okay. One. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's go back to Valerie Bertinelli that kind of area. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah, one day at a time. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'll just note that uh, Lori Laughlin is not just Aunt Becky to me. She's also Patty from Seinfeld, who helped Jerry get in touch with his feelings. Uh, so it makes me wonder if Lori Laughlin calmed herself when the crap hit the fan this week by saying serenity now. wonder if she used <laughs> that technique. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are all saying serenity now and hoping for us to move on. So we'll do that. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 31 of Gamble On. We now have as many episodes as Baskin-Robbins has flavors, an important benchmark. Uh, if you missed any of our previous 30 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, and coming up a little bit later on the podcast, we'll be speaking to a professional sports better who goes by the name Captain Jack Andrews. And you may have seen his byline on usbets.com recently. Uh, he wrote an article about uh, why sports books should actually welcome sharp money, which was a little bit counterintuitive. It was interesting. Um, the article got shared and discussed quite a bit in the sports betting community. And there's a lot to discuss there with Captain Jack for sure. But first, it's been another busy, busy news week in U.S. sports gambling expansion. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start off the news segment this week with the February revenue report in New Jersey, and to the surprise of absolutely nobody, sports betting handle and revenue declined this past month. Uh, handle went down from $385.3 million in January to $320.4 million. And revenue fell to two thirds of what it was in January, from 18.8 million to 12.7 million. Again, a drop off along these lines was expected. February is a shorter month. There are several slow days during the NBA's All Star break. The NFL season ends. We also knew a few weeks ago that the books lost money overall on the Super Bowl. Here was a somewhat surprising detail. Six Atlantic City sports books lost money in February, with Borgata the worst at a deficit of more than $700,000. Uh, but several online books thrived, most notably FanDuel's, 
which is starting to distance itself from DraftKings as the market leader. John, any surprises in your eyes among all the February facts and figures? You know, with all that, my favorite was the uh, the Oscars hold for the sportsbooks, mm-hmm. 24.4% on three quarters of a million dollars. Um, that's about as detailed as a breakdown as we can get, but we both know because we've discussed it that a real chunk of that had to be that bogus rumor about a long shot winning best director uh, that knocked the wager off the board early on, on some Oscar nights. So, uh, it, if it seems too good to be true, it's uh, it's still good advice. Yeah, I'm also I'm noticing that NBA betters are well better than football betters at betting. Um, another hold of below four percent um, for the books. Uh, it reminds me, uh, FanDuel's Kip Levin recently noted that the majority of their NBA action now is uh, on live betting in NBA games. Um, so it seems like there are some sharks out there in the in the murky waters of Jersey. Yeah, a, f- a few things uh, caught my eye. Um, First, uh, tying into a, a tweet from our upcoming guest, Captain Jack, uh, that, that Handel dropped 17% from January to February. And he noted in his tweet that in Nevada, Handel drops every year from January to February by an average of 17.2%. So this this was right in line with that. Um, another thing was just to note that online is up to 80.8% of the pie. Um, I'm starting to think that might level off. Like, I don't think it'll go to 90% in any month this year, not with the, the Pennsylvania betters soon not needing to drive across the border. I might set the line for, like, the high-water month for 2019 at something like 84% online. W- would you go over or under uh, that we'll have a month? Uh, with it's a good line. Okay. It's a good line. I think I'll go just under, but uh, yeah, it's a big number, though. Okay, but you certainly agree with me that it's not going to keep going up that yeah, much higher there's yeah. a there is a limit yeah right um and then i'm glad you mentioned the oscars thing because that that was the thing that that i found pretty interesting uh but you know not at all surprising a, a small handle uh just uh, about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and of course bet sizes were limited so that makes sense there um but yeah that huge hold 24.4 percent which i think goes to a couple of things what you mentioned about the uh false rumors of the on, on the best director front um but also as we pointed out we we saw the week Leading up to the Oscars, we were informed that the most popular bets, at least on DraftKings, and I assume this held elsewhere in the industry, were on the most popular movies. Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Panther, A Star is Born, Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, and none of them won. So uh, you kind of figured that the hold would be huge. Yeah, it's, it's good for the books, too. Obviously, people ought to sign up for um, to do this illegally. Uh, and so uh, now they have an account, and while mm-hmm. they're they're not really gamblers, but they might have had fun even if they lost on Bradley Cooper or whatever. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, they might think, oh, I, I can try this or I can try that. I mean, it's uh, it's tough to get a casual player too interested, but uh, at, least, at least they're signed up and obviously they can be marketed to and all that. So uh, I, I think that overall it was a real win for the uh, uh, the industry in New Jersey. Yeah, that's a great point. And once, once you've Put some money in the account as long as you didn't blow it all on the Oscars. Uh, if you have some left over, yeah, now you're going to maybe bet it on some March Madness games or, or something like that. Um, uh, and this gets uh, somewhat off the beaten path of our usual podcast coverage. But I'll just note, uh, since I complained uh, not too long ago about having the ending of A Star is Born spoiled for me, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll note that I've now seen the movie. Uh, my review, yeah. Not that good. I, I thought the plot felt very rushed. Uh, the musical stuff was great. The performances were very good, but it was a pretty average movie to me, but certainly better than Bohemian Rhapsody, which I hated. Uh, but uh, there you go. There's a little Raskin's movie corner uh, for all those interested. 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not your Siskel or Ebert because uh, <laughs> I haven't seen either movie. <laughs> OK. All right. Well, let's get back to talking gambling and let's combine several news items into one state by state legislative process roundup. And this week it was a mix of good news and bad news. First, the bad news. Kentucky's sports betting legislation is all but dead for 2019, though officials predict it will have a better chance in 2020. And the same is true in Maryland, where a bill suddenly seems to be on hold until next year. But offsetting those two pieces of bad news, we have two pieces of good news. Uh, West Virginia's online casino bill passed the state Senate and is now ready to head to the governor's desk. And the mobile sports betting bill passed the Rhode Island House in a landslide, so that will now proceed to the governor's desk. So for two states, it's wait till next year. For another two states, we're just a governor's signature away from new forms of online gambling. Does any part of this roundup stand out as particularly significant to you, John? Yeah, Eric, I was starting to wonder if any other states would join the party this year. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, New Jersey just collected about $1.7 million in sports betting taxes in February. So illusions about ending a state's pension woes or something with this amenity would be silly. But if you take a rampantly occurring illegal activity, you legalize it, regulate it as a consumer protection effort, rack up tens of million dollars in direct taxes in a year, uh, plus indirect benefits to operators with, you know, nary a real scandal. I mean, that FanDuel error on the Bronco Raider game that we talked about, right. the live bet, uh, wound up being more of a kerfuffle or a blunder in the end than a scandal, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I agree. And you add it all up, and it seems like legal sports betting is, an, if you on paper anyway, it looks like a no-brainer. But then again, who looks on paper anymore? <laughs> right. Paper, what's that? Yeah, um, yeah I, I, it's good to see some progress. I am starting to get a little pessimistic just about the total number of states that will have sports betting in 2019, you know, with what we saw in Kentucky and Maryland that it got pushed to next year. Um, You know, we had eight by the end of 2018 and heading into this year, a lot of people thought we might be up to 15 or so by the end of 2019, but we're seeing that these things move slowly in the States that weren't already raring to go before PASPA got overturned, lots of starts and stops. So I'm feeling like we're only going to add a handful by the end of the year. Maybe we'll be at 10 or 12 or something like that. I mean, it's good that so many states have wheels in motion. I'm still optimistic about the overall picture, but I'm not optimistic about the speed of anything happening. Yeah, and I think that goes to, we've talked about it before, the the push for this being such a economic boom rather than sort of a regulatory consumer protection angle. Um, mm-hmm. That's an issue because now that they get down to the brass tax and the legis- legislators find out how much tax money they're really going to get, uh, it, it doesn't compare to, you know, I've talked about the 1990s and the casino, casino boom. I mean, right. you, you open up a bunch of casinos and tax revenues are flying in at huge numbers. Um, sports betting is never going to be like that. So uh, to the extent that it got marketed in some states as a big uh, – a huge revenue generator, the reality is kind of kicking in. So, yeah, maybe the under is, is the play there. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate as far as the Rhode Island online legislation. It's unfortunate that it includes a, a requirement for in-person registration. Uh, that'll certainly have some effect on the adoption there. You know, the whole key to online betting is ease of use and not having to do it in person. Uh, you know, your more casual bettors who would gladly give it a try under other circumstances won't bother going to the casinos just to get signed up. And I'm, I'm glad that that hurdle doesn't exist in New Jersey, where I currently bet, or in Pennsylvania, where I will soon be betting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. Well, speaking of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, for our final news item, uh, we're going to combine multiple stories again, uh, two cases of states, uh, as it so happens, the two states that you and I live in, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, uh, clamping down on illegal gambling. First, in New Jersey, Assemblyman Ralph Caputo spoke to you, John, about wanting to increase fines for sports books that take bets on college games either being played in New Jersey or featuring New Jersey teams. It's currently a $2,000 penalty, which Caputo calls a slap on the wrist, and he wants to make it $20,000 to $100,000. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, a bill has been introduced to increase the penalties for underage gamblers in brick-and-mortar casinos. Representative Thomas Mert wants more community service and slightly higher fines for anyone under 21 who tries to gamble, and he also wants fines and community service just for being on the casino floor under 21. Uh, What do you think, John? Are either or both of these problems that legislators should be focused on cracking down on? Well, you know, $2,000 does seem to be a bit modest for the New Jersey, New Jersey University game error. I mean, uh, it is 2019 after all. It sounds like a 1980s uh, uh, penalty. <laughs> right. uh, and Caputo's point to me was that since the voters elected not to allow betting on those games, wisely or not, uh, operators should be more respectful of the will of the people, basically. Um, you know, Caputo was an Atlantic City casino marketing executive for decades in between tours of duty and the legislature also. And I think he naturally just expects more from a casino operator than, than he's seen. So it's a little bit personally annoyed about it, but I think there's some merit to uh, increasing the penalty. Um, but as far as Pennsylvania goes, I mean, take Hollywood Casino at Penn National Racecourse, just to name one, and there's plenty of other examples in the state. You know, as in New Jersey, you have to be 21 and up to bet at the casino, but only 18 to bet on a horse race. Now, that would be a little confusing if they were 40 miles apart. But, you know, if a college kid comes in with grandpa to bet the ponies now and then, and he gets ID'd at age 19 and he's approved each time, is it crazy the same kid wanders over to the slots parlor? I don't, I don't think that it is. So, you know, I wonder if the better tack is like the New Jersey University betting issue where you put the onus on the casinos, although the age discrepancy is no picnic for them to enforce. But right. if someone's going to be responsible, I, I'm not sure that a, a 19-year-old uh, – who can bet on the horses and knows he can should be doing community services because he he didn't figure out that for some reason you can bet on one thing at 18 and the other one only at 21. Yeah, and especially the whole just being on the casino floor aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I have no problem with cracking down on underage gambling, although you yeah. may be right that it should be the casinos more than uh, more than the 19 year old kids uh, that that they're cracking down on, but. I've seen a million parents wheel kids in strollers across an Atlantic City gaming floor. Is that going to be finable now? I, I don't know. I mean, I just think the fine should be saved for those who try to gamble, at least. Uh, that Trying to enforce just being on the gaming floor. I think having your security guards come up to an, an underage-looking person, ask for ID if they if they aren't 21, just ask them to leave the casino floor. I, I don't know that you need to be fining those people. Yeah, I'm picturing that two-year-old in a stroller. I mean, what kind of community service can she really do at that age? <laughs> Good anyway. point. Good point, yeah. <laughs> um, on the New Jersey front, I get where Caputo is coming from. You know, if you have the law, you want to be able to enforce it, and $2,000 absolutely doesn't do that. Um, but that said, I'm not a fan of the law, and it's getting a little awkward with March Madness, where uh, DraftKings is running some paid-entry bracket pools, and in those, you can't pick a New Jersey school. It auto picks the first round opponent of the New Jersey school for you, which 
that's a minor hindrance this year. Uh, whatever New Jersey schools get in will be high seeds probably and not expected to get out of the first round. But uh, in theory, it could become a big deal. Like imagine filling out a bracket as a North Carolina resident and not being able to pick any North Carolina schools to advance. That would be a real problem. Well, it's rough for me because, of, of course, my my Fairleigh Dickinson University Knights, my alma mater, mm-hmm. are in the big uh, big dance. And I, I, if I could pick them to go all the way in New Jersey, I can get 10, 15 million to one. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I I'm deprived of that opportunity. I'll have to drive down to to see you and uh, get that bet down in Pennsylvania instead. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. got to come to Pennsylvania or if you want me right. to be your proxy, uh, you can wire me some money. I'll, uh, oh, I'll no. make the bet for you. No. Oh, no, I wouldn't go there. <laughs> Not 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 doing the uh, cross state lines things. Oh no. Okay, especially here publicly on the podcast. Maybe I I shouldn't have said that. Never mind. I was just kidding. Just kidding. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. bit of history being made on the podcast now as we're about to welcome our first guest ever to appear under a fake name. Uh, although you might have thought our recent guest Rufus Peabody was using a made-up name, but it turns out that one is legit. Uh, anyway, we now welcome onto the show a professional gambler based in New Jersey who goes by the pseudonym Captain Jack Andrews, as he prefers to keep his true identity secret. He wrote a fascinating and much talked about article for usbets.com last week called The Value of Sharp Money in the Sports Wagering Economy. Jack, welcome to Gamble On. Oh, thank you, Eric and John. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. So before we get into your article and the debate over sports books limiting or banning sharp money, I'm curious to know a little about your sports betting background. What sort of win rates have you had over the years in your best sports? What's your average wager size, if you're willing to discuss that? And just how hard is it to make a living betting on sports? Yeah, so you know, sports actually doesn't represent a hundred percent of of what I do for uh, my active income. Um, it actually is well, it's been increasing uh, since legalization. I've actually kind of stepped up my game in terms of what I'm relying on for income. But generally, I handicap the NBA and Major League Baseball. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is is because those seasons kind of just barely overlap, so it gives you you know a nice kind of pace throughout the entire the entire year. I also bet NFL football and college uh, football and college basketball whenever the, you know, the situation arises. Um, I've been doing this for actively. I've been doing this for about, uh, I guess, about 10 years. I was kind of actually more like 12 years now. Uh, I kind of got pulled into it when online casinos went away around 2006. Uh, Sports betting market went underground and it was it was just the easier path to bet sports than to try to deal with uh, moving some of the money to online casinos like I had been doing. Uh, so I, I actively pursued it for a long time. And then uh, when New Jersey started their fight for legalization, um, by the way, John was probably the only source of information for about five years uh, <laughs> during this entire uh, process. And I would constantly check his blog every single day to see what the updates were, you know, what was happening. Uh, other than probably knowing Senator Lesniak personally, John was probably the best source of information. <laughs> I just I just wanted to throw that out there since I'm on the, on the call with him. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I started betting sports uh, more and more proficiently, uh, working in analytical models, um, 
using quantitative data to to place my bets and it's sort of just slowly evolved from there um and now with legalization uh it's it's definitely more of a full-time gig and uh it's it's going quite well okay so so just to to hit on that the one part of my question of how hard it is to make a living betting on sports it's close to a full-time gig for you now then you're you're saying it, it is something that uh that with with legalization in new jersey you can make enough money in in a year to uh to cover uh, everything you need to yeah so with sports betting a large part of it is how many outs you have because uh, you know that's that's sort of your uh your way to gauge the market your way to shop the market is how many different places you can bet and uh previously it was it's sort of hard to get outs it's sort of hard to find places to bet you got to know people and they got to hook you up and you know it's all a big uh mess um, but with legalization and especially in new jersey i mean the competition is great in the state there's so many different options there's so many different betting i mean we have more mobile sports books than nevada and we're still less than one year into this market it it's it's tremendous so um, having the variety to bet in New Jersey has really uh, increased my abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Captain, can you elaborate on that recent article you did? Um, you, you talk about how sports books uh, should take bets from sharps. That's beneficial to them. That seems counterintuitive, probably, to most people. So, so how do they benefit from taking uh, those bets? Right. So, you know, and that it was a little bit of a controversial article in that I'm sure a lot of sports book operators saw it or read it and just laughed it off because you know in the end it's not profitable to bet on to to book only sharp betters however if you can use that sharp action as a portion of your overall handle and you can use it in a way to direct you how to shape your market uh it can be very beneficial um i kind of touched on on three points and the first was that it's only fair to to book sharp action and that's the that's the point i made that kind of appeals to the betters, as well as to the general public. Um, you know, if, if you're offering us to come in and take a shot at you, then when somebody comes in and takes a shot at them and has some brain power behind it, they don't want to take that action. That just seems very un-American. It just seems just a bad way to do business, uh, a bad way to foster uh, new customers coming on board if they think they might, you know, one day be limited or told they can't bet here anymore. They, they probably don't even want to come in the door. Um, secondly, sharp money is predictive. In other words, it can tell you where the market's going to end up. You know, the market throughout the day, uh, the sports betting day is, is always moving, uh, going one way or the other, and usually going in one direction only as, as more and more sharp bettors get their money down. Um, and a sports book can use that sharp money as court of a, a barometer of where the market's going and how fast it's going there. Uh, if they miss some kind of news that the sharp betters know, uh, if, you know, those sharp betters are going to race to the window, so to speak, and get their money down. Um, it's a good sign to say, hey, wait a minute, what did we miss? Why is this guy betting into this line this way? Um, and then the third thing is the reason that they should permit sharp money to an extent is because it's going to come in anyway. You know, these sharp betters were well versed in kind of the, the art of betting. Uh, we know how to get the money down. We know how to kind of uh, get around the system, so to speak. Uh, we've been doing it for years and years, trying to bet in these underground markets. Um, and now in legalized markets, you know, why not just accept their wagers to an extent 
and uh, that way you don't have to deal with all of the capital expenses of administration in trying to prevent all these different leaks of people coming in through the window when the door is closed. All right, so I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate uh, a, a bit here, just uh, with the example that if a casino discovers a ca- card counter who's using superior skill to beat the house in blackjack, they stop taking that person's action. They ban him effectively. Why should it be any different with sports betting? Why shouldn't sports books just say this person is obviously skilled and has an edge on us? It's our right not to let him play here. What's what's your response if someone proposes that argument to you? So that argument is prepositioned on an on a idea that sharp money is all of the money you're going to receive on a wager. When in fact, uh, as with card counting, it's extremely small percentage of your handle. You know, to use an example from within the state, uh, DraftKings takes 53,000 wagers a day at their sports book. Um, they are very intolerant of sharp action. Yet, even if uh, those the average size of those wagers is, you know, $20 a wager, that's that's a million dollars a day. I mean, it's probably actually less than that with, with their crowd. But uh, the point being is one person's sharp wagers even a group of people's sharp wagers are not going to uh, affect the market. And just like card counting, the ability to beat sports is far less than a lot of people think. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the number I've heard for card counting is 1% of all casino uh, players are card counters. Um, that's probably a similar number for sharp sports betting. It's probably only about 1% of your total um, players are have the ability to probably beat you in any given sport. And and you said earlier you used the term un-American to describe uh, the idea of not playing fair and giving everyone a chance to, to beat the house. Do you feel that uh, it's, it's un-American to ban card counters, that uh, in, in an ideal world the casinos would welcome action on all games from everyone? I do. Uh, and... The reason I feel that way is not only because I've I've been a card counter in a previous life, but also because, you know, if if you're telling people that, you know, you're willing to take wagers, you're you're the uh, you're the casino, you're you're willing to you know take the action, then you should take the action. Um, you know, casinos will never want to advertise that uh, you can come play our games unless we think you're smart enough and in that case, no, you're not welcome. That, that's never on any advertising. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's the idea of come in, get rich. Um, and it almost seems a little bit predatory that um, when they identify somebody who's playing well and playing within their bankroll and uh, playing to um, playing with an advantage in their head, uh, that's the point where they say, no, uh, we want this guy over here. That's, that might be overbetting his bankroll uh, is is clearly inebriated and uh, you know is is just being loose with his money and and the way he spends it. That's that's our ideal customer. Uh, that just seems a bit predatory. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Captain, I wrote about the recent Sloan conference at MIT where William Hill, U.S. executive, was grilled about the company's relationship with Sharps. And they acknowledged that, um, you know, they they have that reputational. They said it's very unfair. Uh, and obviously the problem that we have, especially reporting on this, is uh, everything is so anecdotal. There's no, uh, you know, formal case filed that Division of Gaming Enforcement that says one company uh, turns away Sharps any more uh, extremely than others. So, I mean, do you do you agree with that sort of common notion that William Hill is especially strict? Uh, do you find other others are just as strict? Do you find any that you, you feel like are are more fair players in, in your mind that they'll take on any action that, uh, that they get? It, it definitely is a spectrum, John. Um, there, there's definitely various uh, trains of thought when it comes to this approach from the sports books. Um, we saw it right away in New Jersey. I mean, I, you know, I think I was actually still a net loser at DraftKings when I discovered that my limits had been cut down to, um, you know, for me, menial sizes. They were, uh, mm. you know, at first it was down to about $100 a bet, and now it's actually down to about $4 a bet. Uh, so, um, but, and that was before I was even a, a net winner. I was actually betting some in-game baseball stuff. And I guess they said, Hey, anyone who's going to bet this must know what they're doing. And they, they quick cut me off. Um, but meanwhile, we have other people in the state that are taking all kind of action. They're, they're willing to, uh, kind of go about it the right way and, and they're being, uh, successful as well. So it doesn't mean that cutting off sharp action is the only way to be successful in any of these new states. Um, you know, there, there are various ways to be successful as a sports book operator. And it seems like cutting off action just seems to be the, um, the lazy way to go about it, in my opinion. All right. Well, th- this is really interesting. Of course, if any of our listeners uh, missed Captain Jack's article, uh, definitely look that up on, on usbets.com. It goes into full detail uh, on uh, his position on why the books should accept sharp money. Uh, we really appreciate you shining a light on this issue. Uh, and of course, uh, thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast today, Captain Jack. And, and I just have to ask before we let you go, are, are you a big Billy Joel fan? Is that where the pseudonym comes from or, uh, or something completely unrelated to that? Uh, you actually nailed it. Although the funny thing is, is the pseudonym started over 20 years ago. I, I signed up on a website where you use an alias and in in 10 seconds of thought, uh, I chose the name Captain Jack. It had Jack in it. This was a Blackjack site. Uh, I was a Billy Joel fan. Well, I still am a Billy Joel fan. And so that's why I chose it. And it's stuck for over 20 years now. Um, and that that's probably the most frequent question I get is, you know, <laughs> where, where did that name come from? So that's it. Good. Glad we glad we could get the answer out of you there. So uh, great stuff. Th- thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, guys. This was All a right. pleasure. Thanks, Captain. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. This was a blow-it-all week, not a run-it-up week. Uh, we really took it on the chin. Uh, a winless week for our bankroll. Uh, those Edelman MVP riches are evaporating in a hurry. I went 0 for 2 with the Pacers failing to cover against the Bucks, costing us $110. And Joe Smith Jr. failing to deliver on his puncher's chance, costing us $50. 
John, meanwhile, risked 150 on Mark Leishman for the top 20, and Leishman missed it by a stroke. Uh, also, John's futures bet on the AAF's Birmingham Iron got a little less attractive with their loss over the weekend. Plus, the emotional roller coaster of your Spurs under 43 and a half wins is almost coming to an end, uh, as they've now won six straight. Uh, they're they're 39 and 29. Uh, <laughs> looks like we're paying the price for betting against Popovich, uh, but but that one isn't official yet. Anything you want to weigh in on there before I uh, give the tally? Uh, Pardon me for groaning at all of them, but uh, move, let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so for now, we're up $1,253 with 850 on hold in futures bets, leaving us $10,403 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And we have a big fight in the boxing world this weekend. The best fight of the year so far. Uh, two top 10 pound-for-pounders, both undefeated. Mikey Garcia moving up in weight to challenge welterweight Errol Spence Jr. Spence is the favorite. He's listed at minus 410 on FanDuel versus plus 300 for Garcia. Spence is my pick to win, but I don't want to lay minus 410 on him. He needs to be almost a sure thing at that price, and he isn't. Uh, my official prediction is Spence by decision, and that result is plus 200, uh, whereas knockout is only plus 105. So my prediction goes a little against conventional wisdom, apparently, uh, that Spence by knockout is the chalk pick. Uh, but I have great respect for Mikey's skill. I think he'll last the distance. So give me a $100 bet to win $200 on Errol Spence Jr. prevailing on points over 12 rounds, and uh, and that win will more than cover the $20 that I'm paying to go see the fight at my local movie theater on Saturday. Uh, it's always, nice. a, always a fun way to watch a good fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thankful, Eric. I didn't bother to tape the golf on Sunday, and I should say DVR, right? right. People, people are going to picture a VHS in the machine, but um, it wasn't until hours later I saw that Mr. Leishman, who was plus four on his first nine holes on Thursday, and then rallied mightily all the way through, he'd come all the way back to where he needed only a bogey in the final hole the weekend for our bet to win. Um, the little visual on PGA Tour showed me that uh, he dunked his second shot on the par four into the water. Double bogey left him tied for 23rd <laughs> on a top 20 bet. That's brutal. But yep. uh, this week's the Players' Championship in Florida. Again, uh, maybe the best field of the entire year. Um, some big names won't even make the cut due to the tricky conditions um, on the weekend in particular. So even those that make the cut are going to are gonna fall back in some cases. Move up to, to March uh, from a May slot also uh, is a factor. Um, now, I see DraftKings as not just win this week, but and, and top uh, five, top 10, top 20. First time I've seen them with a top 40 out mm -hmm. of the 144 player field, which I think makes sense for this tournament. Um, I look at those carefully, but I just didn't love any of the odds there. So I'll go top 20 again. Um, this time on last week's winner, Francesco Molinari of Italy, at 100 to win, 138 to be in the top 20. Um, he has four top 10s here and four miscuts, but uh, this past year has really shown us the good Molinari. So I'm pretty confident. And it's a fun name to say, at the very least. It is Francesco Molinari. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to do something potentially stupid here with my uh, second bet of the week. I'm going to bet on a sport I don't follow. Uh, I don't watch college basketball until March Madness begins. I really haven't since about 1997. Uh, just, just don't have time in my life to get into college sports for more than two weeks a year. Um, but I've been watching ESPN's Daily Wager this week, and someone on there said that Michigan is their favorite bet in the Big Ten tournament at plus 250 
And I saw online this morning that I could actually get Michigan at plus 270. Uh, So, John, you can tell me if this does or doesn't sound like a good bet to you. But I'm trusting the ESPN dudes with this one. Uh, $100 to win 270 on Michigan in their conference tournament. Uh, I have a few friends who went to Michigan. uh, So there's that. My wife went to Penn State, so she won't like this bet. uh, But uh, what the hell? This is uh, this is me risking our bankroll on college hoops. This is what it looks like. What do you think? Uh, Decent bet or not so decent? It seems like a decent bet. I mean, they have the talent, so you know if they uh, they put it together, they they can win a lot more than just that conference tournament. So I'm I'm okay with that. Okay. Um, so my last one, uh, you know, over betters on AF, that's Alliance of American Football, um, had been hurting badly this season. Um, well, partly because they are betting on AF games, but um, mostly because the under <laughs> kept coming in. Uh, the over went four and zero last week, though, in week five, mm. um, and each game went over easily, um, kind of mid-season form, you'd say, literally. Um, so I'll swim in through the full one-week trend and go over 43 on underachieving preseason favorite Arizona at the unbeaten Orlando Apollos. Um, Steve Spurrier's Apollos may get close to the number themselves, uh, 43, and their defense is good but not perfect, so uh, let's give that a shot. So is that like a, a 110 to win 100 kind yeah, of deal? Yeah, 110 to win okay. 100, yeah. All right. I'm not going to go I got too crazy with the AAF. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you're betting AAF over-unders at all, thats I think that's crazy yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my name is John. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A quick note that we'll be coming to you one day early next week. Uh, We'll post the podcast on Wednesday so we can get out before the March Madness games begin. Uh, And we'll also be trying to figure out between now and then a head-to-head March Madness picks competition of some sort between me and John. Should be a fun experiment. Can someone who doesn't follow college basketball at all beat (laughs) someone who does? Uh, You see it every year in your bracket pool. Somebody makes random picks and wins uh, based on uh, you know the the color of the uniforms or something. Uh, so we'll see if the same thing happens in our competition uh, as I pick schools based on who was good 25 years ago when I was really into college hoops. Uh, so that's next week. But uh, for now, thanks again for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that john please do your thing and take us out yeah i think it's the first time that my closing words of wisdom are about something i didn't already know um i just had to figure out who invented the term march madness anyway and when um turns out henry v porter he was a coach who led his high school squad to a runner finish in the illinois high school association tournament um and he wrote in illinois high school athlete magazine once that a little march madness may complement and contribute to sanity and help keep society on an even keel Mr. Porter wrote that in 1939, Uh, and the article was published in the same month as the first NCAA men's tournament uh, when Oregon beat Ohio State in the finale. And um, I like that result because it gives me two possible future closing items. Um, One would be the five most mispronounced states. Um, Oregon will be in there, spoiler alert. And um, (laughs) why is it the Ohio State University? And I know that one already. So anyway, until next time, everybody, gamble on. Gamble on.